Welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. Are you ready to get into it? All right. Well, tonight we are going to conclude our Alphabet Soup series. Uh, we've talked about gender fluidity. We've talked about the trans agenda last week. Uh, and we wanted to wrap it up tonight talking about what is the Christian response. In other words, to this whole issue, now that this month is over, it doesn't mean that we're done uh, dealing with the issue. We're done with, uh, with friends, with coworkers, with things in the marketplace where we're going to have to address it, maybe even with uh, your jobs where pronouns are being thrown around. And so we want to talk tonight about the Christian response to the entire agenda. What, what are we to do? Uh, how are we to position ourselves? Uh, what should our attitude be? And how do we approach doing something. Uh, And so I've asked Mike to join me tonight because I think there's two separate areas where we need an answer to that question. One is, what are we doing as a church governmentally in our territory? Uh, What's our responsibility as a believer when it comes to things uh, in in the governmental side of things, as well as uh, we want to talk about personally? What do you do when you have someone you're dealing with one-on-one? How do you approach that? How do you address it? What do you do? So I'm going to turn it over to Mike, and he's going to get us started tonight. It's really intimidating to have Massey preach a barn burner on Sunday and then have Pastor Todd right after me. So... Here's what I'll tell you. Um, I was actually, I was sitting down worship, during worship, praying with the Lord and and going over this stuff. And there's a thread that keeps sticking in my mind. And it's like, why do I care? Why does this matter to me? And it comes back to two words. My children. I will defend with my life, my children. And I think sometimes we get, we, we get caught up in this whole argument. And we say, well, we're supposed to just let the world do its thing and Jesus. And I'm not at all arguing the Jesus part, but the question is, what are we doing day to day? And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just recap a bit of the argument as to why you as Christians can and should get involved, and then how to. Does that make sense? Okay, so, how bad is it if we don't get involved? So Washington State has recently passed a law which does not require them to notify parents of a runaway child if that child is saying that their parents don't want to consent to gender-affirming care or abortion services. So your child from Florida could run away to Washington seeking out gender-affirming care, and Washington has determined that it's reasonable that they don't notify you where your child is. California has followed suit in proposing a very similar bill. California has also determined that not affirming gender transitioning is grounds for investigating parents and organizations with possibility of removing children from the home under the guise of abuse. 
Michigan's House of Representatives has recently passed a bill that would make it a felony to cause someone to feel threatened, harassed, or terrorized based on gender identity or sexuality. It makes sexual orientation and gender identity or expression both protected classes. Now here's my question. Imagine these sermons the past three weeks that Pastor Todd has done in Michigan, if that were to pass. He'd most likely be facing a couple of felony charges, up to five years in prison, and $10,000 fine. This matters, guys. This matters. Because if we don't get involved and step up, it will be on our doorsteps. And that is why I am so adamantly passionate about my children because I loathe the thought of the government standing on my doorstep saying, well, you preached some sermons that went against gender identity or homosexuality and so we don't think you're fit to be parents anymore. Now the secular realm has told us over and over, separation of church and state, okay? Their claim is, you can't legislate morality and you can't use your faith to inform your position. I've got two questions for you. Is it moral or immoral to kill somebody? Is it moral or immoral to steal something? So we can legislate those things? Perhaps legislation is a little bit more of determining morality than at first we once believed. Isn't it their moral position that no one should misgender or use the wrong pronouns for someone else? Isn't it a moral position to ensure no one is offended or threatened? See, the lie is, the whole time they knew it was about morality. But the question was, whose morality? The whole time they've been telling you separation of church and state, you can't get involved, don't put your religion on us. Yet the whole time they were trying to enforce their own morality on you. The Declaration of Independence states, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. In other words, men institute governments. And then men write laws based on what their conviction, truth, and heart position says. Law is the enforcement of morality. So the question is, why can't you get involved? Why can't you be a part of that process? Why is it because you're a body that suddenly you've lost your ability to be able to participate in the legal structure of the government, even though governments are instituted among men and derived by the consent of the governed. It's not just your privilege, it's your duty. And if we as Christians believe that we have truth, then why would we not want to be governed by truth? Why would we sit back, be patient, say, well, they're in charge? Don't they claim to have the truth about things such as gender for your kids and seek to enforce it by law? That's really what's going on right now, right? We know that your kid, if they say anything about being the wrong gender, we've got to change them physically permanently forever. Forever. 
That's what they're saying. That's the truth that they're trying to espouse. But the problem is, it's not even just, well, we think this is a good idea. It's if you don't align with us, you are standing against truth and you are immoral. So therefore, we're going to bring the law against you if you don't align with this. Now, Pastor Todd's gonna talk about the idea of truth, but I want you to put this question in your back pocket. If we know truth, why wouldn't we speak up? Now, you may say, Brother Mike, Romans 13. We hear it a lot, right? How many pulpits have told us to submit to the coercion of the authority because, well, God says so? Romans 13 says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. There it is. Don't participate. That's not what it said said, look, God established the authority of government. God said government is a good thing. But nowhere in there does it say don't participate in that government, especially in a system that your founding fathers put forward telling you go and participate. Do what you need to do to ensure that your liberty is protected. And when did submitting to authority mean allowing wicked authority to do whatever it wants because, well, it must be God's will? This does not make sense to me, guys. Does it make sense to you? See, Scripture shows a different approach. Scripture is full of those of faith getting involved in high levels of government and influencing the affairs of the government. Are you sure about that, Mike? Well, let's just go through a small list. God told Moses to disobey Pharaoh and leave with the whole nation of Israel. Joseph was second in command to Pharaoh in Egypt. Pharaoh even told him, look, you're basically me, except not for the name, you know? Esther became an influential voice in the king's ear, saving the entire Jewish people from extermination. The king even decreed they could defend themselves, they proceeded to kill over 75,000 of their enemies. If Esther weren't in that court, what would have happened? Samuel rebuked King Saul and proclaimed that his authority would be torn from him. David was a king and a man after God's own heart. But then Nathan comes along and harshly rebuked David to his face, saying, you have done a wicked thing. Daniel was a very high level and trusted advisor to the king. All the prophets were sent to various nations to proclaim judgment and blessing in the hopes of influencing them. John the Baptist rebuked Herod and he was beheaded for it. Jesus told Pilate, the only authority that you have is that which my father gives you. Peter, Paul, John, and the rest of the apostles all faced off against government for their faith. And are we going to say that men such as Moses, Nathan, John the Baptist, and Peter, Paul, and John were not righteous when confronting and influencing governments? 
As an aside, are we willing to say that Martin Luther King Jr. and those he was working with had an immoral stance because they were going against government laws of the day? They broke some laws. Are we determined to say that they were not in God's will by fighting against that wickedness that was established in the government? See guys, this is a spiritual war. Satan wants to crush you. And he has no interest in following the boundaries of men such as separation of church and state. Satan has no boundaries in saying, well, those are your kids, so I'm not gonna do anything about it. He doesn't just want you not to go to heaven. He wants to crush you and everybody in your line. Now, I say that knowing that we serve Jesus Christ Lord over all, who has defeated the enemy, who has told us we can tear down strongholds. But Satan is using weapons and twists to keep you silent. Romans 13 is weaponized. You know that even Satan quoted scripture to Jesus? You think he's not gonna do it to us? Oh, no, 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 Romans 13, church, I I need you to quiet down. Just, just quiet down. Could you imagine what would happen if the entire body, and when it does, stood up as one voice and proclaimed, God will reign. He's weaponized Romans 13. He's weaponized separation of church and state against you. He's weaponized the 501c3. He's weaponized the Johnson Amendment. And the stronghold that he uses to wedge against you is now revolving around how a person identifies. Oh, you can't touch that. You can't speak about that. You can't influence that. You can't do anything about that. So how do you fight back? How does the Christian fight the aims of Satan and push back against strongholds? And this is the how you do this. Because a lot of times we raise our hand and we go, I, I'm totally with you, I have no clue what to do next. Your first step is repentance, prayer, and fasting. And I know it sounds cliche and I know it gets thrown out there and we tend to go, yeah, 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 okay, what else? But man, if we're not willing to do that first, our hearts aren't right. If we as a body will repent and pray and fast and dedicate both ourselves and our land back to God, there is nothing he can't do. And it's our time, especially men, to stand up and pray for this nation. And I think it's cool because I've been having conversations in various places and hearing things crop up where God is raising the men. Okay, I'm gonna do it. Men, stand up. Now, please. 
Sorry, I get a little rah-rah. Gentlemen, if you have children, I want, to think, I want you to think about your children. If you don't have children, I want, to th- want you to think about children who are close in your life. My question is, what would you do for them? What would you, as a community of men, do to defend the lives of the children in your community? What will you do to defend your family? To defend the defenseless? To defend the orphan? To defend the widow? I think it's time that we as men regain that strength and courage to understand that we weren't built to sit down or be passive, but we were built to war. But we cannot fight spiritually if we aren't prepared to go out spiritually. And so gentlemen, as I have you standing, I want you to just contemplate for a second what it means to take on this dedication of prayer and fasting for your community. Gentlemen, you can sit down. That's just the beginning, men. Ladies, you want a strong man out on the front line in front of you, correct? I'm going to ask you this. Could you imagine if this church banded together a hundred men of true conviction for a single cause? John Wesley said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. When you recognize what is going on with spiritual eyes, you recognize the attack points of the enemy. He's attacking our men, he's attacking our families, he's attempting to separate our children from our influence. He's weakening us through pride and lust and distraction. You wanna know why legislation like this gets passed? Because it's been allowed to get passed. But I hope you guys and ladies are with me in saying no more. No more. We're done with this. So you repent prayer and fasting. You pay attention to what's going on, right? You're seeing with spiritual eyes. Communicating with your leaders through various ways. That may be writing letters, making phone calls, that kind of stuff. But there's also a communication of showing up. There's a communication of conviction. Samuel Adams said it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. Could you imagine how much communicating would be done if a hundred men, firm in conviction of faith and determined to protect their children, stood shoulder to shoulder outside the school board meeting? Whew. Speak without having to speak. 
Could you imagine what it would look like if the city council chamber was filled with righteous men devoted to the tearing down of strongholds and obliterating the gates of hell? I think that's imagery that we need to put into motion. Another way to get involved is to run for office. And I know this one gets bandied about all the time and the mo- most of the time we tend to say, I can't do that. But let me ask, why not you? Why can't you? What calling is on your life that you have avoided because life is too busy? I'll say it again. What calling have you avoided because life is just too busy? And I will say, if you do not get involved now, the government will involve itself with your children. If you can't run, support and help those who do run. Maybe you can't run, but you sure can support with finances, volunteer hours, networking, campaigning, lobbying, influencing, and standing firm. You had a Martin Luther King Jr., but how many people did you have standing beside him, supporting him? The civil rights movement was won because of that tireless minority who refused to take the status quo. They gave their wealth, their safety, their freedom, and their lives to win liberty. But most of all, in order to get involved, guys, we've gotta have faith that he can do it. No more saying it's too far gone, it's too overwhelming, they've won, I can't do anything. We're done with that language. We're gonna speak life tonight. That the strongholds of darkness will fall in this nation and God will reign supreme. Your God brought a victory to a ragtag group of 13 colonies who were brave and faithful enough to stand against a global empire. If he can do that, do you think he cares about a federal government and some bureaucrats? Do you think he can't undo the damage and wickedness that's been done in this nation? Scripture says, and Jesus answered them and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. You want your government to respect your rights and liberties? It is time for us to tear down the strongholds. It is time for us to start that process, and if you're not sure how it looks, there are things out there to help you get started. We at Revive have started the program that you may have been hearing rumblings about called Strike Force, and more will be coming out in the coming months. But this program was absolutely designed to answer that question for you, what do I do? If you have a lane, you have a role, you have a task that you know you could do, the program will fit you in. And the beauty of it is, you don't have to do it all. Because we're the body. And we each play a part, right? And that's the lesson for tonight for me, is each of us are a part of the body. 
So when we're unified in Christ and we play that role of that part, there's nothing we can't do, guys. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I mean, the reality is we have a call to action as Christians, as churches. Uh, my call is for the pastors to step up and start doing their job, uh, and, and there's a role there. But I think we also have to individually, you got to know where you stand. You got to know how to address this in the one-on-one. You got to know what your response to the arguments are going to be. Uh, and I think for us, we have to be prepared for that argument to come. Because one of the things that I'm getting really, really annoyed with is people who do not know our Jesus trying to tell us how Jesus would respond. In other words, oh, he was kind, he was tolerant, he was loving, so you guys need to shut up and be kind, tolerant, and loving. But they don't know our Jesus. Uh, and and when we talk about this stuff, uh, we have to be able to say, what would Jesus actually say? Those who know Jesus know that he's loving, know that he's kind, but know that he would not put up with some of the things that we're being told to put up with. So I'm going to go to a scripture that's very commonly used on this topic, but I want to show you something that maybe you haven't seen before. I'm in Romans chapter 1, so many of you know where I'm going. I'm starting in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident with them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what he has made, that they would be without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their, expect- in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Verse 24, therefore, the conversation is about to shift. He said, they have known God they would have seen him in what was being created. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in the desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons due to the penalty of this error. Now, this scripture is commonly used as the most solid evidence 
about homosexuality being a sin in God's eyes. But I want you to see something else in this scripture. Because this whole section that I just read is actually a cause and effect scripture. There was a cause and there was an effect because of that cause. The people were doing something, therefore God turned them over to impurity. And we know that the effect, the backside of the conversation, the effect was that they were turned over to degrading passions. They were turned over to the lust of the flesh. They were turned over to unnatural sexual desire. But here's my question. What was the cause? What was the cause that turned them over to that effect? See, some would say when you read that scripture that they were worshiping the created instead of the creator. But my question is, why were they doing that? The answer to why they were doing that was back in verse 18. It said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Watch of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying, but the cause, the reason they were turned over to the unnatural lust, the unnatural sexual affections was because they suppressed the truth. It ought to be making sense here. Truth has to be the foundation of the Christian's response to this issue. Truth falls into two categories that I think we have to consider. One, whatever God says is truth. I think we know that. And truth is based in reality. Truth is based in reality. The ability to change your sex is not a reality. So the conversation should stop there because God says he created you male and female, didn't give you the option to switch from one to the other. And the reality is you can't actually do it. And I want you to look at how Jesus addressed this in John 8, Jesus is speaking. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whatever he speaks is a lie. He speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. So here's what I'm saying based on Romans uh, eight, uh, 1. Uh, <laughs> good gracious, Romans 1. And this scripture here, I want to do what is based on truth. The foundation of how you're going to respond to any of these topics, any of the gender fluidity topics, any of the homosexuality topics, is where is truth? Anything else, you are standing on sand, you're standing on shaky ground, you're standing on lies. So what's happening in this entire arena of gender dysphoria is that there is no truth. There is a lack of truth. And I'm telling you, once you hone in on that, you will know what to say and you will know how to respond. I don't need to know how a person feels or how they 
think they were made or what manipulative studies they want to tell me about because I have to live in truth. Only truth will give me an answer to what is right and what is wrong. And if you do not understand truth, all you can do is explain, all I can do is explain truth to you. And if you choose to reject that truth, listen, then you're following the father of lies. Christians cannot be shaken from the truth. It is your solid ground. And truth is easy to defend. Why? Because it's true. It doesn't change. Jesus defines truth for us in John 17, 17. He's praying to God, and this is what he says. Sanctify them in truth, God. Your word is truth. So I know I have a baseline of truth in whatever God's word is. He said it. It has to be true. I can stand on that, but I'm going to show you how you can put reality with that. Lies bring confusion. Why? Because they conflict with truth. The truth is, to this person, you're not a woman, you're a man. The truth is, your chromosomes and your reproductive system tell us the truth. The truth is, your mind is confused because it does not recognize which gender of the two available you are. And if you change the word gender to mean something else, all you're doing is propagating lies so that your sex can become changeable, which isn't truth. Are you with me? The truth is constant. It never changes. Psalm 119, 116. The sum of your, capital Y, God, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinance is everlasting. So we must decide as believers if we're going to follow the father of lies or the father of truth. John 3, 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God, as having been worked out as God, as having been proven in God. So here's what I'm saying in the conversation that I'm having with someone over gender dysphoria. I'm not a hater. I'm not homophobic. I'm not transphobic, but I believe that there is a truth. I believe that truth comes from God and I believe that truth is borne out in biology and science when it comes to gender fluidity. And you're being able to change your gender is not truth. I, interesting scripture. I want you to hear this in light of the month we just finished. This is Proverbs 11.2. You want to make a note of this. Proverbs 11.2 reads this way. When pride comes, then comes dishonor. When pride comes... Then comes dishonor, the dishonor of God, the dishonor of the human body, the dishonor of truth. But the, with the humble is wisdom. Why would wisdom be with the humble? Because the humble recognize God. The humble decide that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. 
The humble are not lovers of self. You with me? The entire movement that's going on, uh, somebody asked me about this last week, is a collection of evil spirits that have come together to do work. And it's not isolated to a single demonic movement. I believe there are spirits of perversion, spirits of whoredom, spirits of confusion, and spirits of pride that are all working together. But here's the central theme in each one of those spirits. They're all working in lies. They're all working in lies. And so what we have to compete against is the lies, and we can only do that with truth. So how does the Christian respond today? What do you do individually as a person? You have two battlefronts. One, you know, I don't have to quote this scripture for you, you know our battle is not against flesh and blood. I am not fighting any transgendered person. I am not fighting any homosexual person. That's not what I'm doing. I am fighting the powers and the principalities and the evil spirits that are at work to say, we will not stand for this. It is from the father of lies. It is not truth. So what do I do? I pray. I pray with authority in my territory. I declare the truth of God always. Let me say that again. I declare the truth of God always. Number two, we have to stand up in our day-to-day activity with the Word of God, with the truth of God. And this is part of what Mike is saying, and part of what I'm saying must change, must change in Christianity in, in this world. We cannot be weak, passive, tolerant people. When we are weak, passive, and tolerant, all we are doing is saying to the enemy, it's yours, take it. And it's ours, and we're supposed to be taking it. So we can't claim that tolerance or silence is the answer. We have to be willing to make it clear that we will not obey or come in agreement with Satan's lies. Listen, I'm saying to you individually, that's a decision you have to make in your heart. That I'm not going to be the one who says, well, if someone comes to me, I'm just going to say, that's okay for you, but you know, you just, just tell me what you need me to do, and I'll make sure that we all get along because Jesus would have wanted to be accepting. But I'm not saying we're jerks. I'm saying we know truth, and we're willing to stand on truth. So I want to get really practical for you. What do you do when the coworker or the family member comes up and expresses that they are gay or trans? This is what you do. You be empathetic to the confusion. What am I saying? I'm not upset with you. I realize you think you are a woman when you are a man. That has to be confusing for you. You have to be thinking, I want to go to the other restroom. I don't want to be with the men. You have to be thinking, I want to dress a certain way. I want to look a certain way that doesn't feel normal for me. I want to be another way. And I have to say that has got to be confusing. That's got to be hard for you to do. But the truth is you cannot be the other gender. So we don't work on your body and your dress. We work on your mind and your soul. 
We say what we need is for Jesus to come in and give you a revelation of who you were designed to be and the lies that you're believing that are taking you away from the plan of God. And how do we get you back to that place where you're comfortable in your own skin? Listen to me. Dysphoria is not resolved by complicity. It must have been too big of a word. (laughs) Dysphoria is not resolved by going along with the confusion. I do not help you at all to say, okay, if that's who you want to be, that's fine with me. If I agree with your lies, then I'm enabling your dysphoria, therefore not helping you. I'm letting you stay in the confusion, stay in the mess. Truth is the only antidote to lies and dysphoria. I have to be willing, here comes, to deliver the truth in love. I'm not mad at you, but I know you're hurting. I know you're confused. I know a lot of people give you a hard time for this, but I just want to tell you something. You're not a woman. You're a man. How do we get you back to the place where you can be okay with that? And they may not want to accept the truth today because of the anger they will display over the fact that you're not accepting their dysphoria. But truth is the only legitimate help. Anything else is just agreeing with lies. So, practically, keep these truths in mind. Men cannot get pregnant. Gender and sex are the same thing. Look up the definition of both of those words. You know what both of them say? Defining male and female. Gender and sex. And listen to me. Giving gender another definition does not change its meaning. Making up a different definition for gender does not mean if a man puts on a dress, he's a woman. And the transgender transition, listen to me, it doesn't agree with truth, it doesn't agree with biology, and it doesn't agree with science. It's a dysphoria of the mind that is not based in reality. Let me say that again. It doesn't agree with truth. It doesn't agree with biology. It doesn't agree with science. It is a dysphoria of the mind and cannot be addressed by changing the body. You're not going to get there. Transgender means you're confused in your mind because it doesn't agree with truth, biology, and science. Gay, just dropping some truth bombs here, gay and lesbian couples cannot reproduce truth. I'm not being mean. I'm not being a hater. I'm stating a fact. It is truth that a gay or a lesbian couple cannot reproduce. It will be impossible, hear me out because I've been talking about this, to maintain a society where people don't, uh, where we can go and not offend people if they have the ability to change their gender whenever they want to. 
There's going to be no way. There will be no way for us to not offend somebody if today you're a man and tomorrow you're a woman and then you're a man for the next three days and then you're a woman and I come in and call you sir not knowing what you are today. I'm going to offend you. We're going to have to start a whole new uh, conversation about how we address one another. Hey, Glenn, who are you today? A man. Good. I was born a man. I'm still a man, and I will always be a man. So here's what I'm saying to those situations where we have a confusion. I'm sorry this is tough for you. But it's tough because you're not operating in truth. And we have to get you back to truth. So let me give you some advice on bringing someone back to truth. Because I think if there's anything I want to make sure and not do is create a bunch of wild-eyed warriors. Here's what I mean by that. When you're dealing with someone or needing to deal with someone one-on-one, let's say it's in your family, let's say it's in your workplace, let's say it's wherever, it is not your job to go after it. It is your job to listen to the Holy Spirit. It is your job for the Holy Spirit to tell you when to address it and when not to address it, what to say and what not to say. Don't go in there with a condemning self-righteous attitude. Don't go in there to pick a fight for truth's sake. Be led by the Spirit because those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. And what I'm saying by that is you may not know the Holy Spirit is working a plan already to get that person to truth. And you can mess it up by stepping in the middle, ticking them off and making them want to separate from the Holy Spirit and not hear what he has to say. Are you with me? Oh, listen, I could teach about this one for a while, but I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as believers is believing if I know truth, I've got to go out there and tell people the truth, but the Holy Spirit never told me to tell this person the truth right now, and all I've done is mess up what he was doing. Mm, Hear me out. It's so important, this next point I'm going to make, because if you don't get this, you will not be patient enough to wait on the Holy Spirit. So if you're taking notes, now would be the time. You must always remember that God loves that person more than you do. God loves that person more than you do, wants truth for them more than you do. So if you don't depend and rely on his love for them, you will play God. And you will create a mess, I promise you. This is why we wait for the Holy Spirit prompting. We wait for that moment when we're on the back porch just sitting talking about stuff and it comes up naturally so we can say, you know, I think you're just confused. When did this start? How did you get to this place? Why do you think that way? Because your body doesn't reflect what you're saying. So let's talk about, help me understand what led you to believe that or what led you to think that. When did that happen to you? So I can begin having a dialogue that was led by the Holy Spirit, knowing that God wants them to be comfortable in their skin more than me. Listen, God knows the number of their days. God knows the boundary of their habitation and the time of their existence. God loves them so much that he is always working a plan to get them to the truth. 
You got to find out, am I a part of your plan, God? And if you are, I want you to use me as a vessel. And if I'm not, I don't want to get in there and mess it up. That's important. And some of you just had a sigh of relief. Like, wow, I thought I had to go fix them. No, you got to be available if God chooses to use you to be a part of their fix. Mm. Do you really think the father in the prodigal story didn't know that the son would eventually come to his senses? I began thinking about this the other day. How do I know that he knew? Because he could have easily gone after him. He could have easily gone and met him in that city, found out where he was, gone to the pig slop and say, is this where you want to be? Is it you could be at home and this is where you want to be? But he didn't. He waited until God brought him home and then he ran to him and said, you're mine now. Come on, let's, let's move forward. I think he was just willing to pray and wait till his son recognized his own mistakes. Listen, a good battle strategy is knowing how to wait for the perfect battle time. And sometimes it's wise to wait as we learned the other day, until the enemy runs out of water. Sometimes it's wise to wait until they get frustrated with how difficult the transition is. Sometimes it's wise to wait until your prayers start softening them to your input. Ooh, can I say that again? Sometimes it's wise to wait until your prayers begin softening them to be able to receive your input. Sometimes it's wise to wait until God makes the first move. That's how I think we deal with this individually. I'm not upset with you. I'm not mad at you. Do I think what you're doing is wrong? Yes. Do I want you to be in the truth? Yeah. How can I help you get to the truth? But there's also a public thing that we talked about earlier. You have to get involved publicly. We have to go to meetings where decisions are being made to govern our own county and our own people or our own state and our own country, and we have to make our voice known that this is truth, and we want rules and laws and decisions based on truth, not based on someone's emotion. Now, when you get there, how do you do it? Let me just say this from our experience of being in some of these meetings when people get up and start talking about the Nephilim and 5G and how it's going to mess with everybody and the aliens that are coming next week and you just think you're ruining any chance we have at making a reasonable conversation. You handle it with intelligence, not emotion. You can be passionate in intelligence, but to get up there and be over-emotional and not be able to get your point across isn't helping the conversation. We cannot join in the opposition's craziness, argumentative, argumentativity. Wow. I think that's a new word I just made. Or their bullying tactics. That's not who we are. Why? Because we have truth. All we have to do is stand up and declare and proclaim the truth. We have to say that makes, oh, okay, I'm going to go there. I remember back when we were going to the county commission meetings about wearing masks. Now, I don't care where you stand on masks, but this was the point I made about me being forced to wear a mask if I walked into a retail establishment. Here was my point. I looked at the commissioners. I said, do you believe that masks work? 
Do you honestly believe they work? I've got to believe you do because you want me wearing one. But I want you to consider this. If your mask works, why do I need to wear one? Your mask is going to keep you from infecting me, and your mask is going to keep you from being infected by me, so why do you need me to wear a mask? Maybe what we need is for everybody to make their own decision on whether they want to be protected or not. That's a rational, intelligent, non-emotion-driven truth. If you believe the mask work, I don't need to wear one. I think you can always make a truth argument with integrity. Last thing I'll say, and we'll close it out for tonight. You must know their argument. You must know their argument. You must know what they think and why they think it. You cannot go blindly in because I promise you what will happen is they will come back with your rebuttal. You'll have no answer, and they'll say, see, See, it's over, it's done. If you don't know their argument, if you don't know what they're saying and why they're saying it, if, if you don't know, hey, this is why I think you can change gender because I have friends and my friends are willing to go to school dressed as girls even though they're guys and just the fact that they have the boldness to do that shows me that it must be a reality. What do you say to that? That doesn't prove anything except your friends who are men are dressing as women to go and there's something in their mind that makes them think they're a woman, but it can't be because they're a man. So let's go talk to them about why they think that way. My point is, if you don't know their argument, you won't know how to come back at it. So we just have to be prepared. I think the Christian response is we have to get active in our governments, and we have to say, uh, and, and, and I don't mean to take away a point from you, but how many of you know who the Danbury Baptists are? Good. Because if you don't know who the Danbury Baptists are, then you don't know where separation of church and state came from. See, Thomas Jefferson is in the middle of writing a constitution for our country, and the Danbury Baptists write a letter to him and say, listen, we don't want a government church like we had in England. In England, the church was the government, and the government told the church how it respond because it was the church of England. We don't want that in this country. And you know what Thomas Jefferson's response was? Don't have to worry about that because we're going to build a wall of separation between the state and the church. He was never saying the church couldn't get involved in the government. He was saying we're going to protect the church from the government. We're not going to let the government get involved in the church and making decisions of what the church can and can't do. Therefore, we have amendments like... Go ahead. puts me on the spot. First Amendment, freedom of freedom of and freedom of there we go. That's the, the one Congress I was looking will for. Make no, <laughs> the Congress will make no laws concerning Respect. the practice of religion. Right. Okay, here's my point. You got to be equipped. You got to be able to say when somebody works says, no, there's supposed to be separation between church and state. You got to say that phrase came out of a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist and what he was saying, he's going to keep the government from ruling the churches. That's it. That was the whole point. 
And if you were at a um, school board meeting just a couple weeks ago, somebody spouted that out using Revive Church. Revive Church is saying there's no separation of church and state, and there is, and, and they're lying. And it's like, no, we're not. We just know our history. We know why that letter was written, and we know why that statement was made. And so if you go back and look at it, it doesn't keep us from getting involved in government. It keeps government from ruling the church. And by the way, it was never constitutional. It was just a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist. All right, we are loving, we are empathetic, but if there's nothing else you caught tonight, you have to be based on truth. If you're not based on truth, you have no argument. You've joined crazy. You've joined dysphoria if you don't know truth. If you know truth, you just stand on truth. I'm not arguing with you. I'm not going to put up a fight. I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to be homophobic. I'm going to tell you what truth is. And this is the truth I stand on, so I don't have to be angry. Truth will prevail. Truth will prevail. I believe that Christians are finally starting to get the message because they're seeing how bizarre things are getting and they're saying this can't be this crazy that you would think as the state that you can take away my kids because my kids say my parents won't let me have surgery to become someone else at 14 years old and you think you can take them away from me because I happen to be wise enough to know that kids go through phases. And at 14 years old, they can't make a decision for the rest of their life. So I'm telling them no for now, for sure. Because I'm their parent. <laughs> Father God, we love you and we love your truth and your word is truth and we want to walk in truth. Help us move in righteousness, not unrighteousness. Help us be in the light and the life and the truth of your word. And help us deliver that truth in love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Thank you for being here tonight. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at reviveusnow.com. We're really excited that Pastor Todd has released his first book of 2023, Love Never Lies. He shares with us how Jesus loves us, but he always tells us the truth about sin and righteousness and how we should act in this world. The world wants to tell us what the Bible says about these things and how our understanding is unloving, even hateful. But we must look for ourselves at the Bible and at Jesus and see that Jesus loves everyone, but he never compromises on truth. This new book is very relevant to all Christians in today's crazy times. Love Never Lies is available on Amazon now. This podcast is brought to you by Revived Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.